the interloper has not returned. Dean Daniel is safe for now. It's all thanks to our brave patrons, but especially Hedwig and Carlo. Be vigilant. Hello, welcome to the Probably Bad Podcast, a podcast which is definitely bad. I'm Pencil. I'm Paper. And we have another guest by by popular request. <laughs> is that one person or two people? <laughs> that That's a secret. But you were requested. Uh, Would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, hi, I'm Rootscarn, uh, Adam Rootscarn to Camp. Uh, I am on the Spoiler Warning Show. I create RPG content for Patreon. Currently, I am working on finishing up the game Deniable Assets. That is much more impressive than, than our credentials. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. I mean, that's the thing about the internet is it's, it's, it's democratic. You could toil away doing one dumb thing for like 20 years. Uh, and then somebody like has one good five second on TikTok and Hey. So yeah, in lieu of our TikTok stardom, um, <laughs> <laughs> which I assume is forthcoming. Yeah. We can only hope. Today's probably bad RPG idea is. Invite people around to play Pathfinder. Once there, have them roleplay being, being bleh, have them roleplay being workers of the mapping ordinance survey. Seem confused when they raise objections. I'm of the opinion that there are not many bad RPG ideas, and I don't think this is one. I think that this has a gem of genius in it. Like, there's definitely some kind of urban fantasy you're going around exploring these places. And then some supernatural thing or alien technology is there. It's maybe undermined by the fact that it's the planning on this thing, so it's likely just fields. So you do need to contrive a reason for why there's a vampire in each random field that you're investigating. I mean, I can see it working quite well as a cover for like a monster of the week party. Where it's just like, oh yeah, we're we're just mapping the location of this old church. Maybe drawing some pictures if we've got, like, there's also a buildings archaeologist in the party. We're definitely not dealing with undead underneath the church. We're just mapping it. Yeah, I, was just saying, I think it works to cover also for a generic fantasy party. Is that the same way? We're just mapping the, the Lich King's dungeon. We're not going to assassinate him. We're just checking what's in there. Right. I mean, maybe you dealt in safety. You know, you've got this yeah. this giant ballroom full of uh, like kind of dark, uh, occluded, very sharp objects lying around. You know, a skeleton, yeah. which to me is a sign that perhaps that you know some of these standards could be raised. Uh, some accommodations could be made to guests. Uh, currently, yeah. there's no safety railing preventing people from stepping on the uh, assembly of garrots and buzz saws. So, you know, just really bring things up to the modern age. It's been 400 yeah. years. You know, preserve preserve the historical significance of the area, but also just make sure that everything is uh, up to modern standards. Yeah, I'm not a paladin. I'm just a health and safety inspector who's seven foot tall and wearing glowing golden armor. Which isn't that just the fantasy version of a high vis vest? Yeah. If you think about it, I'm absolutely playing this character at some point. By the way, I like the paladin. 
every podcast we every episode of this we do it does end with paper developing a new character i have a problem (laughs) (sighs) so much yeah yeah so 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 little time so many characters one needs to play we need to do just like a one like an rpg where there's a whole party but every member of the party is one of paper's characters (laughs) i would love that I, I uh, could DM uh, it and just torture yeah. all of my OCs. Paper is OCs. You need to, <laughs> you need to affect a different like voice or intonation for each different character yeah. that you play, and then uh, do the whole thing as though you are the GM and a bunch of separate players, as though you've cloned yeah. yourself. Yeah, I can see. I, this seems like a perfectly reasonable RPG idea, which yeah. is one of the many rejected titles for our podcast. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, maybe it's like 10, 15 hour long, like three hour long sessions uh, recorded and posted on the internet. Yeah, I mean, like, you won't have to worry about scheduling issues because, like, it's just you. Um, (laughs) And I have nothing to do because all the museums are closed. Oh, boy. That isn't Um, a problem. Yeah, yeah, like, the, the thing I'm qualified to do is work in museums and they're all closed until at least May. So I'm just here. Oh, no. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, going back to the idea. <laughs> well, um, so go back to the idea. I mean, the the cover thing is very fun, but also just them actually being mapping people, either in a kind of end the end of the world kind of type game, mm. where it's just like you're just going about your day and then things happen to you, like- or like there is a legitimate fantasy reason that you need to be doing these maps and just discovering the world, the beautiful world that your DM has built along the way. Because, like, Ordnance Survey maps were developed because Britain, and specifically England, was being attacked a lot, and they went, okay, where are the weak points? Where do we put the guns? All of this stuff. Like, that is a legit, like, high fantasy reason to be making maps. Right. I mean, the, that's the thing about Dungeons and Dragons uh, type and Pathfinder, I suppose, is the best fight system. Uh, like that kind of uh, that whole family of games is generally they have very strict limitations on how far a projectile can go magically and on yeah. what the area it affects. So if you think about it, there's no less reason for a busy setting with fireballs to need to have an ordinance map than there is for. Uh, you know, like a post, like sixteenth century setting where artillery is used for defense. Yeah, I really like the concept of people like you know acknowledging in universe like very strict mathematical rules for how far fireballs can go, and using right. yeah, like it's sort of like the gelatinous cube of like a world that builds its tactics around the fact that all combat is happening on a series of five by five. Squares. Yeah, you can you can have yeah. players meet like the grenadiers who are up there in the the towers, just loose wizards, uh, you know, like growing their beards long outside of regulations, you know, wearing their 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 kind of their pristine robes, kind of skewed and halfway on, just like smoking their thin threats, uh, yeah. staring off in the horizon, like, oh, what took you so long? Get that ridge mapped out there. Uh, there's gonna be things crawling with enemy uh, enemy wizards before the sun's down. I can tell you that much for free. I want to suggest an idea to you. 
Ordnance Survey Architects. So you're also building... So essentially this is a tower defense Pathfinder game. Yeah. Yeah, but also, like, on the inside, like, we need to design this throne room for, like, maximum... In imposition would be the wrong word, but like it needs to be maximally imposing, but mm. also the minim to minimize the chance of someone in the crowd magically assassinating the king. Right. Uh, you essentially have to like. So yeah, if you like, yeah, there, there could be a scenario where we're building a new like. Oh, see, if you have players who are extremely interested in tactics and extremely interested in, like, this kind of nitty-gritty stuff, which I could find you a group like this that would be into this. Just have the premise be, like, the... It's a sort of thing where, like, the insanely privileged emperor wants to build, like, a winter city in a warmer part of the empire where, like, he and his retinue can go and party it up, but also where there's, like, you know, maybe... But also wants all the infrastructure... Uh, this is an insane folly, but we need you to develop it because we're pretty sure someone's going to try to kill him. And we need you to plan a city that is proof against every possible method of like magical mundane assassination, including wizardry. Yeah. It's fantasy sim city. Yeah, it's like the ideal yeah. game for kind of like, yeah, very tactical power gamer. Who's also but it's like sim city. A fun tactical power gaming issue where. It's all planning for one fight at the end of the campaign, yeah. <laughs> which is like, okay, sooner or later, somebody's going to take a poke at this guy. Uh, maybe you're not even there for that fight. Maybe I just roll it, and I tell you if you won or not. We've successfully removed all of the actual combat, and now it's just planning for the encounters. I also like the idea of role-playing the emperor is being especially officious and demanding and maybe dismissive you know maybe maybe a an insult here a humiliate there so the players halfway through are like what if we went the other way on this yeah like it's also a customer service simulator where you keep having to explain to the emperor like no you can't put that there because oh, yeah one one cloud of daggers and you're dead yeah, so yeah. he keeps going like, no, I need a skylight. No, I need a skylight over and over again until he's bl you're blue in the face, until you're finally like, you know what? You can get all the skylights you want, buddy. I'll put one in your bedroom. How about that? Just trying desperately to explain to him that the room he's setting up is flammable and everyone has fireballs. He wants a pit trap uh, so that he can like dunk visitors he doesn't like into it by pressing, like by pulling a lever. And you're trying to explain to him that he's going to have to walk across this pit trap every day to get to his throne because of the, like, uh, Tenochtitlan-style causeway you've built him. And he's just like, what? It's fine. It's just, just don't build it so that it opens accidentally. You're like, okay. There's no such thing as wear and tear, right? It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> I really I really like the sort of implied, like, follow-up to this of you, the heroes, breaking into the villain's, like, dungeon and they've just been killed by their own traps because they filled their dungeon with pit traps and spike falls. I, I'm a firm believer in surprises, yeah. I have done that as a very early campaign encounter before where it's just, like, you're fighting the skeleton of this minor boss because they fucked up. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, or, or, I mean, like, any, really, when it comes to dungeons, you can get a lot of mileage. In fact, I have not yet read, reached the end of the track in terms of 
playing them with the assumption that this is an organic space that has simply existed for anywhere in a year or two, a thousand years before the players showed up. Mm. Uh, anything from like, there's currently an adventuring party there <laughs> who's not happy about the fact that there's someone else pressing a claim on their stake to like the tomb is on the land of a noble who's going to show up as soon as you come out, uh, present proof of ownership and demand all of the treasure that you are illegally removing from his property. Yeah, like, because dungeons are one of those, in the D&D sense, are one of those tropes that just don't really make sense. I wrote an entire sort of. novel around it once, actually. Yeah. Yeah, like, I think, I think honestly, one of the best things in terms of, like, my understanding of D&D Dungeons, I hate to say it, but is the first Dungeons and Dragons movie. Where, like, we're forced to go <laughs> never through this, it. Like, always say death it. trap puzzle in order to prove their worth to, I think it's Richard O'Brien? Not, not the character he's playing, it's just to Richard O'Brien. I mean, the character is very Richard O'Brien, to be fair. I think that there is a tribe of perhaps six people on the planet who could name more than two characters from the Dungeons the Dragons film, and I think that that tribe does not include anyone who worked on it. <laughs> you think Jeremy Irons, like, if you, if you quarter Jeremy Irons, he's going to be like, uh, let's see, who was in that movie? Like, who, who are the characters in that movie? There was uh, Bilbo, uh, Thumberling, uh... Arya Stark. No, I don't remember. <laughs> so what you're saying? I'll be honest. I'm not sure what movie you're talking about. Was I in it? So what you're saying is we need to get Jeremy Irons as a guest on this show. If you got Jeremy Irons as a guest on this show and like called his bluff with regards to remember literally anything about that movie, I would watch that show. I would. You I would. Get where we kidnap Jeremy Irons and force him to recount the plots of the first Dungeons Dragons movie. So I. Yeah, I, think... I mean. I think now that we've hit kidnapping, we should maybe move on to questions. <laughs> All right, sounds good. Um, okay, so all of our questions are anonymous, which I, I don't know. I, I asked people for questions for you. Um, ah. I, I don't know what it says that they're all anonymous. <laughs> Everyone is intimidated by your celebrity. Um, okay. Well, so, associated with me because they know what's going to happen in eight months, one thirty days, and twenty-two hours. You could kill everyone that asked you a question. Ah, I'll be honest. I don't know yet. I just, I just know what the, uh, I just know what the fella told me. In order to avoid becoming accomplices, our first question is what's the earliest edition of D&D you've played, and do you have any interest in going earlier? Well, uh, I, I have two contradictory answers to that. One is the earliest edition of Dungeons & Dragons I've played is Chainmail, and the other is that, yeah, I would be interested in going earlier because that would mean playing like the Primordial Soup uh, ad hoc games that preceded Chainmail's fantasy adaptation, which then metastasized into Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, you know, yeah, like stuff I, like, um, like I, I remember reading that the first like indie thing that ever happened, even before uh, Dave Arneson was doing his like, uh, like Black Marches or something like that, was 
basically a Napoleonic war game that they added ad hoc, like you're also playing the town council uh, in addition to playing these armies. And that sounds like fun, actually. Yeah, I I have played second edition Ravenloft. Um, yeah. The rules weren't very good, is the issue. <laughs> second of the Dragons is my, definitely my favorite edition of the Dose of Dragons Pathfinder family. Yeah. Like, yeah, you can you can tell how the rules sort of. I'm not going to say get better because they'll have 400 people yell in my inbox, but get some. I'll be one of them. Simpler. I'll be one of them. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, what happens is it gets more centralized is that the the city goes from something that is very like kind of scattered and mm. random and every system is developed independent of every other system yeah. to simulate every contingency of adventuring to a unified system which uses your understanding of one mechanic allow you to effortlessly understand okay. dozens of other mechanics yeah like it gets more coherent yeah i think that that's very noble i think that that was necessary to make the game like with the force it has become. Uh, I also think that it's not ultimately as interesting. Yeah, I mean, like, I did like going for the second thing. I mean, like, oh, okay, that's an interesting role. I wonder what the hell it means. Um. See, the I am very boring and I've only played 3.5 and 5th edition. Cancelled. I remember 3.5 being... Like, part of this is probably just my anxiety was somehow even worse at that point. But I remember just finding character creation in 3.5 incredibly stressful. Hmm. But I've been told that 3.5 is kind of over-engineered, so I'd be kind of intrigued to go earlier just yeah, I mean, 3.5. Oh, yeah. Someone will accuse second edition of being over-engineered in a sense of being overly polished. Yeah. Yeah, I think 3.5 edition was just, there was so much of it. Yeah, I mean, we've talked before, like, use rope is not a necessary separate skill. That's certainly true, and, you know, there's, yes, three, third edition's got, like, the, the hex blade, the spell blade, the spell sword, uh, the sword mage, uh, probably others that I'm forgetting. Yeah. It's just, like, at some point they exhausted every possible configuration of fantasy cheese. The irony mm. is, use sword would be a potentially useful skill in our architecture game we were suggesting earlier. Right. I think that the important thing about the Pathfinder game is that they are playing experts. Yeah. So yeah, maybe you I, just I add like, a new skill and use sword. <laughs> I, I feel like that game would be mostly like social skills, social, social stats that you would need. I'm going to say persuasion and intimidation. I'm going to say you have to roll individually for each, like you know, rock, like brick you put in, and so have you. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think that that, that that will do wonders to pad out the moments. Yeah. If just I haven't moments. planned anything for this session, you just roll to lay brick eight hundred times. I don't prepare anything for any session. <laughs> Let me actually say, I, 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 sessions is overrated. I'm just saying. What you do is you walk in, you just say architecture, and then you start demanding people roll. We got time for a brief tangent. Sure. Yeah. Our, our podcast is entirely tangents. I, I was listening to a few episodes of your backlog of repair, and uh, one of them was the premise was of the game. I think was uh, of an anonymous, like you have a, are the players that have amnesia and the GM has amnesia. 
Yeah. So because it, it has been my blessing and curse to run every stupid game in every stupid context, I have run that scenario, and I, I wanted to give you a report on how that went. Okay. Okay. So essentially what happened was I was part of a charity marathon uh, about, like, 10 years ago called Anti-Paladin, where we would do something like uh, a week, five straight 24-hour days with rotating shifts of players while being streamed of tabletop role-playing games for charity. And you run out of, like, actual prepared ideas more or less within the first 24 hours if you're one of the main GMs, which I was. Uh, so somebody requested a horror game, and I wanted to run one, but I don't simply have a horror game. I, I don't even have a horror system really on hand, and I don't want to, like, make people create characters for something, and I don't have any ideas. So essentially, I have amnesia right now, and the players have amnesia. Here's how we're going to start. Their players wake up on a spaceship going through, like, a spaceship, and they're mysteriously discharged from, like, their, uh, their like, oxygen like life support tubes to discover a dark ship and they don't know what's going on. Uh, the kicker is they don't remember who they are, what, what's going on. And I also don't know who they are, what's going on because I didn't have an idea. We're discovering an idea. So I created the mechanic, which was whenever they, they decide they want to be good at something and they want to have that as a skill, which means they can roll like two dice and for successes for it. Or something. I forget what mechanic I came up with. They remember one detail about their life. They like remember one detail about who they were before. It's like a dim recollection. Like I like one of them found a surgical kit and was like, oh, I, I think I was a doctor. And I'm just great. This guy was a doctor. Good. Starting to and I, so I started to put things together and like I would just come up with weird things. And the thing about this in mysteries and coming up with mysteries on the fly when you don't know what's going on is you just say something and players start speculating. And you take the best speculations. You just kind of like connect the dots yourself. And then they feel like they're not only are you smart, but they're smart for figuring it out. And that's exactly how you want them to feel. So then they don't look more closely. That is genius. Yeah, I mean, I have, I have done that before. I have done one RPG where a very important clue that became integral to the mystery. It was a time loop. And it wasn't originally intended to be a time loop. I just fucked up what times things were happening, and I decided to cover it by making it a time loop. Mistakes are the best thing GMs can do on yeah. purpose. Yeah, uh, yeah. It was Plus, then you have the opposite end of of that particular spectrum, which is when your players misinterpret you saying "ring of keys," and you oh. suddenly create a magic item which unlocks doors. The ring of key. <laughs> Isn't that the ring of single key? Or? Yeah. The thing is, my character had very low intelligence, so they never figured out they had a magic item that unlocked doors. They just thought no one locked their doors anymore for some reason, uh, and That's went to their grave. Extremely good concept for a character. Yeah, went to their grave, never really item that let them unlock. Um, we should maybe go back to the podcast. Oh yeah, yeah. Let's 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 return to that. Brain. Our ideas are in fact spreading into the world. Hi, I'm Hazel, and I make a podcast with Liz called Bread and Thread, which you might enjoy if you are a fan of food or clothes or other interesting parts of domestic history. We find out interesting facts about things like regional foods, ancient breeds of sheep, um, pretty much anything domestic history. So if you'd like to know 
why it's illegal to import a sheep into Iceland, and what was presented by Queen Victoria to Harriet Tubman, then you might want to check out Bread and Thread. Find us at Bread and Thread on Twitter, or find us everywhere podcasts exist. <laughs> Yeah, let's 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 have an, another question. Um, thoughts on pre-gen versus player-made characters for first timers? Well, uh, baked into this question is assumption of system. Um, if you're playing something like Fake Fate Accelerated, uh, obviously it's much easier to create character on the fly by just starting with one or two details and adding things. If you're playing something like Pathfinder, that is essentially impossible. Uh, but there were also multiple like levels between. Uh, absolutely starting with a fresh piece of paper and through all the steps, like having a character make a few choices and making it your own uh, versus like you give them a character that has a backstory or not. Um, or and then there, of course, there you could you could also uh, for first timers play some endurance where their first character is uh, one name and two sentences and then it doesn't matter. Uh, although if, if you're so endurance for their first first RPG, you better be really sure they're interested in misery because that game is like that, that that's a that's that's like a dark coffee uh bitter brew kind of game. Uh I think the kind of I like what I've done sometimes with new players is sort of make a sort of generic, you know, strong character, smart character, social character and so forth. And then they can sort of come up with the character, like personality and stuff. Yeah. Because a lot of people I know are, I'm going to say drama nerds, and are very happy yes. to come up with characters and personalities, but it's often the rules, like especially more complex games. Mm. So I feel that's a good that's, solution. That's pretty much the answer, though, isn't it? I mean, you, you, what the, the answer to this question depends entirely on, like, there is no first timer. There's someone's first time playing tabletop role playing games in which the character that they are that they've made up that they've written the backstory for which they love already you just have having never played them they've never actually had rules to go with that before that's just something that they, they've done online with their friends yeah. and then there's first timers in the sense of uh, they remember seeing Lord of the Rings once on an airplane and uh, they they played Monopoly a lot in high school but otherwise they have no idea what's going on and how Essentially, what I try to do is give players something interesting, something which is cool, but something which does not overwhelm or paralyze them. Uh, and that is very much case by case thing. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I've, I mean, I've definitely run sessions for first time, like people who, again, have a varying level of familiarity with the whole concept of like TTRPGs. Where like some of the characters were, I made them. Some of them, the players made them, and some of them, it was like, well, I, I will give you this, this, and this, and then you go from there. It's yeah, yeah. I think I think you're right. It's not, it's not a really a binary you can set up. Yeah, it depends a lot on who your player is, what game you're playing, what campaign you're setting up. Uh, DMs but, really cannot afford to just level one size fits all prescription. Like that's 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 what's important about GMing is that you you can't have just your 
like your bag of tricks that you use, uh, your way of doing things, which you apply to everyone who comes through your doors. If you really want to reach the next level, you've got to start looking at your players as individuals and mm. understand how to give each one of them the best time. And when they come together as a group, learning how to balance that. Yeah, like it's like if I can go from like wacky shenanigans to actual discussion on RPG things. Like one of the things I really like about RPGs is that the audience and the writers, for lack of a better word, are the same people, and yeah. it's a lot. It's a lot easier to kind of make it much more personal for the people who will be taking part than it would be, for, say, a book or a film or other kinds of media. And and that's the only yeah. reason to play your own story instead of consuming like the greatest fan yeah, exactly. novels ever written, right? Yeah, exactly. And it means that, yeah, it's a lot... On the one hand, it makes it a lot harder to give personal advice, uh, like, not personal like, a lot harder to give generic advice beyond the basics of, like, you know, don't slap your players in the face and what have you. But also, <laughs> don't slap them up. Yeah, but it also means that it's easier to make it in a way that is very specifically good for your group. Yeah, like, I think this is why I... Like, Forever DM Syndrome is real and I've experienced it. Um, oh, yeah. But DMs should be players as well yeah. because you get your best ideas in someone else's game or if you can't be in a game like watching something actual play or just reading a book. Like that's where the best stuff comes from and stops you getting into that rut. Very forever DM. I, I I did the math recently on how much I've jammed in the past 15 years, and it was something depressing, like over 2,000 hours. That is an impressive amount of DMing. I, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, um, I was the president of the role-playing games club at UCI. That had something to do with it, but uh, also just, uh, I like role-playing games, and I end up being the one who runs them. <laughs> I've run, like, dozens of systems at this point, and I don't even know if I remember half of them. Yeah, I feel like we're, we're getting a bit of branded that we're mostly giving actual good advice um, over the last two questions. Uh, what, what happens when we have someone that knows what they're talking about? Like, no, like, no offense to Tal, who is, our, like, a guest that we've had before, but we now have, like, an RPG professional. <laughs> Yeah, someone needs to just setting the table on fire or something. I, I would not have the title professional in any other context. Um, so, yeah, one more question is, what's your favorite part of world building? My favorite part is coming with a lot of very complex background information that players will neither know nor care about and will set on fire without noticing. Right. I mean, the, then, this like, is why I have a separate Tumblr just for my D and D setting. So I just I need somewhere to put everything. <laughs> just get it, a, get it out. A disciplined GM means that you'll inevitably come up with backward and setting details that you think are really cool, which will never have a, you'll never have a good reason to share with the players. Yeah, and I've never met a disciplined GM. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the question. Yeah, like I think the choice that either you don't bring them up. Or you try and shoehorn in your entire 30-minute monologue about the origin of the gods as your players try and flee the room. Um, yeah, I think my problem with world building is I like sort of building the big scales of things of like, 
gods and cosmology and stuff. And then I have to like make it so adventures happen here, which is a very important part of the plot. But see, I I like to make my plots like follow logically on from various world building stuff. Like I'll go in and be like, okay, th- this this society has wears their hair like this for this reason, and someone doesn't want that for this reason, and oh, there's a plot. Yeah two answers to this. Uh, one is that, so I, actually I've got three answers if that's permissible. Yeah. Uh, I guess I have three favorites. Um, in terms of, it, like in, in rough order of like when they come up. Uh, first, so my favorite type of campaign to run when it comes to like fantasy, Dungeons the Dragons, that kind of game is one where I create a context I, I don't really create a, an overarching storyline in terms of like something that players are uh, intersecting with, like an ongoing crisis. I like to create one crisis that hits the players like a sack of bricks immediately. I want the whole campaign to follow from the resolution. Uh, so it's like, you know, okay, so what do you do if you become outlaws? So what do you do if you discover an incredible fortune in the middle of nowhere, which will be very valuable if you can get it back to civilization? Like 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 some calamity like that, which I where I can just watch what happens when the players interact with this world. So I like my I guess my first favorite part of world building is creating the the sandbox, the context that's going to react to that kind of crisis. Uh, like that that's going to be like a come up with like all sorts of pit traps and like sort of fertile opportunities and stuff stuff players can use. Mm. Um. Second favorite part, which is the part which is towards like more towards the the end of the process, is when I take like the big broad stroke things I've created and use them to create little things that I think will make players laugh or make them interested. Like the example being like, okay, so if I have the this aesthetic detail, like where this empire is really harsh and fierce and where criminals are punished, and then I, I take that aesthetic detail and I refine it into like or I take that fundamental detail and I refine that into the detail of like uh, on the high road, there's a bunch of hands like nailed to posts that are like the hands of thieves. And then I take that further to the little detail, which is like my favorite detail to come with, where like they'll be walking the road and they'll just be like this bored old widow, like hunched and stoop backed, just like waving cheerfully at them. He carries the basket of hand nail up because that's like, who else is going to do that job? They just give it to like some, some town widow. Like, yeah, you know, she's, she's just, oh, I'm just happy for something to do. I can't spin anymore. My, my, I got the arthritis in my wrists. Yeah, all right. Let, I'll go nail the hands up. Death to thieves. <laughs> <laughs> and then the last yeah. favorite part is the world building I come up with after the fact. <laughs> uh, either during a session or after, like between sessions. Uh, to expand upon a detail that players thought was interesting. Yeah, that like, inevitably becomes more important than everything else I came up with. Yeah, to give a more serious answer than my original one, like, like, I don't do a lot of, like, world building in the... Like, I do general world building of what exists in the world. And then I do improvise quite a lot of it just based on where the players go. And I like that idea of like a world that sort of slow develops. Like, okay, we're gonna go over there. I'm like, okay, uh, there's a city there, and then like the city is just slowly like given a name and personality and so forth. 
and See, the problem is when I do too much improvisatory world building, I end up with things like, well, the capital city is called Suddenly Crabs because I thought that sounded funny in Latin and now I need to come up with an elaborate reason that the capital is called Suddenly Crabs. I mean, and then you play in that setting for three years. <laughs> I don't think there ever were Suddenly Crabs. Well, no, it was a historic. It was historic crabs. They're no longer sudden. <laughs> this is a historic crab. <laughs> yeah, my favourite part of world building is the historic crab, which <laughs> is mandatory in every setting. <laughs> you might know who your historic crab is going to be, or why the crab was historic. Now, that's the fun part. Every player has one token, and when they meet an NPC, they can spend that token to declare that NPC is the historic crab. <laughs> I do actually believe that players should have the ability to determine at least one NPC that you don't give a shit about is very important. And the last time that happened for me was a chicken. I mean, players definitely do have the ability to determine a random NPC you don't give a shit about is important, and they will do it whether you want them to or not. I guess what I'm saying is you need to have the grace to accept that and lean into yeah. it. Mm. So I had a minor mook in a World of Darkness game I was playing. Um, and they tried to attack the players um, when it's comes to the bad guys thing. Um, they rolled six dice for the attack. Uh, all six were ones, and then they got a one on their chance dice, which for those who don't know World of Darkness is a as much as you can conceivably fail. So they exploded yep. themselves immediately. And the players, like, loved this sort of random incompetent loop so much their ghost kept coming back every so often to take another jab at it. And entirely without my planning, he just kept rolling massive failures every time he tried. And we just got this story of this sad, sad assassin ghost who has no idea what he's doing. I mean, have you have you really been the DM unless your party has adopted some random incompetent off the street? Yeah, so there you go. I my party got grew quite attached to their random incompetent ghost assassin. <laughs> I I won't go too much into the story, uh, but ended up with a very a very 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 minor NPC campaign that I'm currently running. Uh, at some point, acquired the nickname hometown buffet dog and at that point like you can't really at that point the character has to be important because that people love that nickname like i you guys i assume don't have hometown buffet no sorry no. I'm, well no I'm, I'm i'm very clear that's not an export uh it's, it's just like it's, it's a buffet restaurant of very poor quality and it's like this character who is an aristocrat i guess i will go somewhat in the story like some point, this is like random, like dim-witted aristocrat character got really through just kind of me shuffling things around and got promoted to like uh, the inner circle because this is like a court game. It's like a Versailles, like you're all trying to like gain political capital game. I just said, yeah, he kind of got lucky. I mean, and everybody knows he got lucky. It's 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 like a dog who found his way into a hometown buffet, and you just come in and find like the whole place is a huge mess, and he's just like really bloated. Um, um you want to be mad at him, but you're really just like, oh, come here, boy. And that's that. Sometimes just having that like hook for a character 
like really gets players invested in them. Yeah. So yeah, I hope you enjoyed that actual RPG advice episode of our podcast. I can only apologize. <laughs> um, sorry, sorry. Okay, no talking apparently. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, thank you, thank you for thank you for being a guest. Here, yeah, um, if you have a question or a complaint, I guess about <laughs> our good advice, um, you can send it to us on Tumblr or email probablybadpodcast at gmail dot com. Um, if you want homebrew and bonus episodes which April's one's going to be something um, you can go to patreon.com slash probably bad RPG ideas um, I assume you have something to plug Ritzcon? Uh well awkwardly uh, <laughs> okay uh, you can follow me at, at Ritzkarn that's R-U-T-S-K-A-R-N no it doesn't mean anything and I, I, I would I would really like to plug Deniable Assets, but it's not on DriveThruRPG yet. So I essentially be saying, please look for a game called Deniable Assets in a few months. It's a cyberpunk villain role-playing game where every character meets a bad ending because they're cyberpunk villains and who wants to have happy endings. Uh, if you have any complaints about this that I've uh, said here or any like niggles with my RPG theory, uh, you can reach me at, at C-A-M-P-S-T-E-R on Twitter.com. Oh, and I guess I guess if if you uh, if you're going to a convention or something, people have had some good times with the uh, unofficial Highlander to the Quickening role playing game, which I am the author of, and which was on my which is available on my website chocolatehammer.org. Okay. Yes. Sorry, my brain stopped working there. Um... <laughs> it might be because you just heard the words Highlander to uh, unofficial role playing. No, sir, that is very possible. <laughs> it's the only rule of it is that the players cannot have actually seen the film Highlander Two: The Quickening. Yeah, I feel like it would be a good film to have sort of guess which of these are actual plot points and which ones I'm making up. But we are not far it. off. Um, yes. But we should end the podcast first. <laughs> yes. Um, oh, we have new merch on Redbubble. We are probably bad on Redbubble. I forgot to plug this last time. We have new merch, so. Give us some money, please. As as I said, I'm unemployed until at least May, realistically. Are you? Um, are you? Uh, um, just yeah, our new advertising campaign of just begging. Um. <laughs> so yeah, thank you for listening, and remember to have a probably bad day. And remember to have a probably bad day. Remember to have a probably bad day. Was I? Was I all supposed to do it?